Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. On this Pentecost Sunday, we turn to Acts 2 for our call to confession. Acts 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Thus far the reading of God's word. They were cut to the heart over their sin. That's the key point this morning. Now this is a formal worship service. We schedule this at 10 o'clock Sunday morning, every Sunday. So it's not that we need to gin up the feeling of being cut to the heart at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. Uh, But if you never have that feeling, if you don't remember being cut to the heart about your sin this past week or month, then you may have a problem. This is one of the Spirit's most frequent works. When you see someone really upset about their sin, wanting to stop it, to confess it to the Lord, to put it away, then you're seeing the Spirit at work. It's like the wind. You may not see him himself, but you see what he does. And it's the same after sin is put away. When you see people thinking about how to, live, how to love each other, parents raising children with thoughtfulness and care, church members thinking of each other, citizens working for God's ways in their nation, sacrificial giving of time and expertise for others. When you see these things, you're seeing the Spirit at work. So see what the Spirit is doing and work with Him in it. Recover a sense of conviction for your sin. Look to better ways to live. Put away your sin and put on righteous, holy living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this word. We thank you that you have provided an account of uh, what you have done in your dealings with your people, uh, in Christ's uh, suffering and death his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and then your sending of the Spirit as we read about it now. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us, show us what you have for us to learn, how we are to live accordingly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, hear God's word. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. 
So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. For you have known, made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. 
So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Powerful, dramatic event at Pentecost. We think about it far, uh, not often enough. The Spirit here points us to Jesus Christ and fulfills uh, the law of Pentecost that we saw in the Old Testament. So I'm going to look first at um, what the Spirit does, uh, just taking large chunks of chapter 2. There are several things we can see uh, that the Spirit does as a general pattern for us. And then at the end, uh, we'll do some contrasting with Sinai and what happened there uh, as well. So first of all, the Spirit comes upon us. The first four verses, we see the the basic event. Uh, Pentecost was already a feast in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 28, 26. You can read about the establishment of the Feast of Pentecost seven weeks after Passover. Uh, Pentecost is simply Greek for count 50. So it's literally the 50-day feast, 50 days after Pentecost. So they're in Jerusalem, the apostles are, for the feast as they should be. And the apostles are also doing what Jesus told them a chapter earlier in Acts 1. Wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Spirit. It says that very clearly in Acts 1 verse 8. Uh, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they're waiting like, they sh- like they're supposed to, like Jesus told them. And they're there for the feast uh, as the Old Testament uh, called for. Something to point out there is that the Spirit works in us when we are obeying Jesus. The Spirit will work with, it, it's kind of a, a catch-22. It's a, it, it goes both ways, right? It, when you're obeying uh, what God tells you to do, the Spirit will be working with you. And when the Spirit is working in you, you will obey uh, God's word. So that's what's going on. The Spirit comes upon them, divided tongues of fire. Uh, And uh, I'll do more of this later, but notice again the contrast with Exodus 19. The reason we read that long chapter right before the Ten Commandments is all the smoke and thunder and noise and trumpet and fire on Mount Sinai. There's a strong uh, parallel between Sinai and this event. And in, at Sinai, God was very careful to warn Moses, to warn the people, stay away or you're going to be destroyed. You, you can't stand it being on this mountain. But here, notice, there's a very strong difference, right? Here the fire actually comes upon the people, not, not on the mountain that they have to stay away from. The fire of the Spirit comes upon each of the apostles, on each of them end of verse 3. And they're filled with the Spirit. They begin to speak with other tongues. That's the second thing. So first, the, the Spirit comes upon us. Second, the Spirit can do miracles through us. And this is verses 5 through 10. The rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and, and languages spoken. Now, God does the first two miracles on his own, the rushing wind, the tongues of fire. He uses the apostles for the languages, right? And... Uh, and you see also at the end of chapter 2, I think it was verse 20, 43. Um, let me find that a second. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Uh, another uh, key verse on this is 2 Corinthians 12, 12. 
uh, that the signs of an apostle were done among you. That's part of Paul's argument uh, to the Corinthians, that he is a true apostle. He says, the signs of an apostle were done among you. There's an assumption there that the apostles could do miracles to authenticate their authority because they were bringing a new message from God. They're writing down new scripture. And when that happens, very often, God gives miracles to authenticate that. That's the main purpose of miracles. Uh, It's not God's ordinary design, I don't believe, for miracles like this to continue in the church. For example, we should not gin up tongue-speaking with with made-up syllables to convince ourselves that we are speaking by the Spirit. That's a recipe for spiritual doubt and disaster. Uh, The apostles were speaking actual languages that Jews from Parthia and Egypt and Rome could understand. But the Spirit can do miracles through us. Uh, I'm mostly, I would call myself, a cessationist, uh, meaning the sign gifts, the, the miracles that authenticate apostolic authority, those, those signs have ceased. But I say mostly, and in the outline I say the Spirit can do miracles through us. And I'm thinking here of uh, situations like pioneer evangelism in native villages, where I've heard modern-day stories of missionaries doing exorcisms or, or praying for healing, and it happens, and the people believe, and then they listen to the gospel. That those kinds of things still happen. So uh, don't go around claiming to have the power to heal from God, but you may encounter uh, situations of spiritual conflict where you pray for a miracle and it happens. Uh, so the Spirit can do miracles through us. The Spirit here is, uh, is having people in other languages hear in their home tongue uh, what the apostles are saying about Jesus. Uh, That's the second thing. So the Spirit comes upon us. The Spirit can do miracles through us. And then third, the Spirit moves us to speak to others about God. That's verse 11 through 15. Here's where uh, Peter starts talking, uh, verse 14 especially. The apostles tell the mighty works of God, verse 11. Uh, They speak boldly. They refute ridicule, verse 13. Uh, The church is largely passive in the face of ridicule. And it's, a, it's a, not a healthy thing. It's one of the devil's weapons that he likes to use against us in hostile cultures. We're seeing this a fair bit in our own society, that church is ridiculed. And that often uh, makes us kind of collapse and shrink in. Yeah, but Peter r- refutes this. Uh, we tend to circle the wagons, shake our heads together at how bad it is. Instead of having the boldness to speak truth to people who obviously don't buy it yet, So we often want to wait to speak until they're banging down our doors, begging us to tell them, but that's not good. Part of the Spirit's work here is to get the apostles to recognize a God-provided opportunity to speak. Part of the Spirit's work is boldness and courage to to say what's true, even when you're not exactly sure how they're going to respond. So the Spirit moves them to refute ridicule. They call them drunk. Uh, but they don't fight fire with fire either, right? There's, there's a kind of a pun intended here. Uh, the Spirit's fire doesn't burn things to the ground, doesn't ridicule people. It would be easy to mock and to castigate back. You're the ones who are drunk in your foolish, ignorant ways, crucified Jesus, and revile them. But no, that's not good. It focuses on their wickedness, 
not on Christ. Or we could embrace the accusation. Yeah, we're drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't you see what joy and gladness this brings us? You should join us. That's not really what Peter says either, right? That focuses on the apostles having a good time, not on Christ. And I point out those two options because I think in our current cultural moment, the church is starting to figure out what we're dealing with, but we're tending to respond in one of those two ways. We either simply revile the Marxists and say critical race theory is just from the devil, which mostly it is, but that focuses on the evil them. Or some on the other side are starting to actually adopt the accusations that social justice people make just to spite them. Yeah, I'm having a great time not being woke. I'm fine with my privilege and my skin color, so there. Well, that's also not technically wrong, but incomplete, and it focuses on yourself. Both of these responses fall short of Peter's Pentecost sermon. They share an attitude of disdain for those to whom they are commissioned to speak. And that's important. The Spirit leads the apostles to speak to others about God, to give a reasoned case from the Bible for your beliefs. The focus is on getting the gospel message to people who don't believe it yet. Uh, One other point on on this, uh, the Spirit moves us to speak to others about God. Uh, You have the means of grace that are ordinary and that are extraordinary, right? The Spirit works just as powerfully in ordinary moments as he does in an extraordinary moment like this, right? When you read a Bible story to your kids at night, when you pray with them, that's a, a means of grace by which the Spirit works. Parents have many chances to speak. And, and they should use them well. Uh, I would even point to things like social media. When you make a comment on social media that's helpful or that points people towards the truth, uh, a lot of people kind of despise that. It's like, that's all a waste of time. But th- that can actually be helpful if done well and rightly. It, you, um, it, you don't see the effect, but those kinds of things have an effect. Plant seeds of truth. That's what we're called to do in in ordinary moments. That's the Spirit working quietly. Uh, Sometimes he works quietly. Sometimes he works with great fanfare like he does in this chapter. So the Spirit moves us to speak to others about God. And then the Spirit also points us to the Bible. And here we see in Peter's sermon, uh, right after he begins the refutation, we're not drunk, it's early in the day. Uh, The very next thing he does is quote scripture. Peter quotes scripture twice, and when God does something new, like he's doing here, we don't throw out the old. The new thing is fulfilling the old thing. So God's words and his works, they're one tapestry that hangs together. It's a beautiful picture. I had a a friend, an older Christian pastor, mentor kind of guy, who would sometimes give a talk on how the Bible is one book, and he would, he would encourage us to turn to Matthew 1 and say, you, you probably have a blank page in between Malachi and Matthew, don't you? That says the New Testament. And that's all it says, and it's blank. I'm looking right now, I do have one of those right here. And he would say, go ahead right now and rip that page out. <laughs> Which is a rather shocking thing, right? He's making a point. This is one book. It's one book. 
you don't have this, this old thing that's kind of scripture emeritus and then a, a New Testament that's, that's the new thing. It's one covenant. So Peter quotes Joel first. And Joel here is talking about the apostles. He's talking about this day. That's, that's why we, we have to not so separate these, um, these testaments. Uh, the apostles are Israel's sons and daughters. They're prophesying here by the Spirit. Uh, they, would be, they were low in status in, in that day. They, they would be uh, servants to the Sanhedrin types, right? And verse 18 literally says, My spirit will come on my men's servants and my maid servants. These apostles are, are servant types, right? This, this signals the beginning of the last days, verse 17. And before the Lord comes, we need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, verse 20 and 21 of Acts 2. And that name is Jesus. So Peter quotes Joel, and then in verse 25 on, he quotes David. David's talking about Jesus too. God won't let Jesus rot in death, and he didn't. So uh, the Spirit points us to the Bible. Too many Christians make a, a false choice between emphasizing the Spirit or the Bible. And that's a bad thing. The Spirit wrote the Bible. <laughs> we forget. And he lives, the Spirit lives in you. As you read God's word, it, it, I, I've uh, mentioned this before, I think, but how, how would you like to have the author of a book right there with you as you read it, right? That, that's, that's pretty cool. What, what if the Supreme Court could directly consult with James Madison about what the Constitution means, for example? But, but even better yet, having God's word in front of you and God's spirit within you, that... that that's what we have as we read. It doesn't mean we'll always understand everything perfectly, but we are fully equipped to grow in the grace of Jesus. So the Spirit points us to the Bible. Uh, on the back by the bulletins, you've got the same page summer handout. I think I took one of those along. I encourage you to grab that. If, you, if you're not reading Scripture uh, daily right now, here's a good way to do it for the next three months. I think it takes you through the New Testament in the next three months, June, July, and August. So... Uh, the Spirit points us to the Bible. Next, the Spirit points us to Jesus' death and resurrection and reign. Uh, verse 22, this is uh, my favorite part of the, the, the chapter, the sermon, that where Peter turns and tells us who Jesus is and what happens, what happened to him and what is happening. Uh, so he points us to Jesus. And here you have, it's really the first Christian sermon here. Number one, Jesus did miracles that you all heard about. Number two, you had him crucified wrongly. Number three, God raised him from the dead. And David predicted that, and we saw it. It's, it's quite a compelling message. Number four, Jesus has gone up to heaven, and he just did this wind, fire, languages thing that you just saw. He did that. David's talking about somebody else in Psalm 110, not about himself. That's what he says there in verse 34, 35. And number five, verse 36, Jesus is the Lord. He is the Messiah. So nice, uh, short five-point sermon right there. And notice at each point where it would be hard for the crowd to believe, Peter slows down and he explains more. Now, one of, one of those examples would be in verse 24 or 25. Where in verse 24, he claims that God raised Jesus up. 
having loosed the pains of death. And you can imagine the crowd thinking, what? He's alive again? And so he slows down and he quotes Psalm 16, which we sang today. And he says, yeah, David talked about this. He said it in Psalm 16 that this was going to happen. A lot of people say the resurrection isn't uh, present in the Old Testament much. Well, Peter didn't think so. Peter quotes Psalm 16. It's right there. So the, the Spirit points us to Jesus' death and resurrection and reign. And, and as Peter speaks, again, he, he slows down and quotes Scripture or explains more at each point where the crowd might uh, be incredulous. The, finally, verse 37, the Spirit convicts of sin. They're cut to the heart. We mentioned this in the call to confession. This Jesus whom you crucified. That's what Peter says. And they are cut to the heart over that. They had condemned Jesus, dismissed him. Uh, today we would say they canceled him. No, no, get rid of him. And people today do the same. They vigorously reject that they need him. They adopt uh, different views about how to live. Who are you to impose your beliefs on me, they say. Well, God made you. <laughs> so he can. It's as simple as that. And that's the difference right there. And that just sounds like death to the unregenerate. There's this... There's this I have to give up my life and be a robot puppet for some oppressive father in the sky? That's what they hear. And, and Satan condemns them. They have no hope of escape. And then he fires them up with a big Nietzsche move. Right? I can be whoever I want to be, and it'll be great. That's what they try to replace things with. There's no constructive conviction there at all. Just destruction. But gospel conviction always comes with hope. Verse 38 and 39, you see it there. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. And this is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, as many as God will call. There's a, a great uh, pr a promise and hope in that. You can uncancel Jesus. You can return to him. You can be washed clean. You can have your children and many others saved too. God holds out that promise of hope. So the Spirit convicts us of sin, but it's, a, it's an edifying, it's a constructive conviction. And then last, the Spirit creates a growing community. Verse 41 to the end of the chapter. Lots of things mentioned here. Baptism, the word, fellowship. Breaking of bread, which is probably uh, communion as well as just fellowship meals. Prayer, miracles, giving, hospitality, growth. It's a, it's a wonderful picture of the community that, that the church is meant to be. We'll sing in a minute, the church is one foundation. And the, the, there's a line in there that, that says, by water and the word, the church is established. That's a wonderful phrase. Uh, the, the whole purpose of God's word, we read in Psalm 19, is to revive the soul. It's, it's to love God and to love our neighbor, the two great commandments. It's to convict us of sin. And all of this is happening on Pentecost. It's astounding. 
But when you see the Spirit work, you see him doing these things. So the Spirit creates a, a growing community. So those are, uh, walk, walking through Acts 2 rather quickly there, those are things that the Spirit does. The Spirit comes upon us. The Spirit speaks, uh, moves us to speak to others about God. The Spirit points us to the Bible. He points us to Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. He convicts us of sin. He creates a growing community. All of these things that the Spirit does, there's many more. I encourage uh, one book I th- thought of uh, just today was uh, Sinclair Ferguson has a good book called The Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're looking for something to read on the Holy Spirit, that would be a good option. Um, just close again with the contrast to the Old, Old Testament. I, I love reading Ex, uh, excuse me, Exodus 19, that Sinai passage, uh, and con- uh, comparing it to Acts 2. Israel connects uh, Judaism today, generally, connects Sinai with Pentecost. They believe it happened on the same day. I just read in the paper uh, yesterday, Friday, um, uh, former Senator Joseph Lieberman, who's an Orthodox Jew. I don't know about Orthodox. He's he's, uh, Jewish. And he wrote an article in in the national paper in which he compared, he referenced uh, Pentecost, said the Feast of Pentecost is coming. And then he took the second half of the article, after he described what, what it was, to talk about the rule of law and how we're losing the rule of law in our country. And people are just not respecting it anymore. And he connected those two things. Because when Pentecost comes, that's the giving of the law. That's what Pentecost is to, the, to a Jew. Because Pentecost is Sinai. It's Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments. Pentecost is the giving of the law. And, and the Jewish people rejoice and feast on Pentecost because they've been given God's word. And that, what a great thing. That's how the, the Jew thinks of Pentecost. But now, contrast all of that with New Testament, Acts 2, Pentecost. The fire and thunder of Sinai. Stay away from the mountain. Don't touch it. But now, the fire comes upon them. Uh, We often uh, don't connect all of these events in Exodus. Exodus 19, uh, we ought to connect from Exodus 19 to 32. All of that is kind of one event. And we don't connect them because there's those chapters in the middle that are all the ritual obscure law, right? And we, we kind of think there's something else going on now and now it's months later. It's not. So you have Pentecost and then you have the golden calf and it's all kind of one event. And what happens at, at the golden calf? Uh, Moses comes down and uh, sees what's going on and he says, what, what does he say? Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And the Levites come. And, and Moses says, go out and kill anybody who's sinning. And Exodus 32, verse 28, 3,000 people die on that day. Well, come back to Acts 2. How many people are added on uh, Pentecost? 3,000 people come to the Lord. That is not a coincidence. And 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, what does Paul say? That the ministry of the letter kills the ministry of the Spirit gives life. Paul's thinking of that same thing. 
God's fire, think of it another way, God's fire was in the temple ever since Sinai. Right? They set up the tabernacle and they had the lampstands. And there's, there's a big, big deal in, in Judaism about keeping that light going all night long, 24-7. Keep the light in the temple going. Well, now the fire comes out and comes upon the apostles. Right? The temple veil is torn the day Jesus dies. The, the point of that is that God comes out to us. He, we are now present that God is now present in and with us. We are the temple. And the New Testament refers to that fairly often. 1 Corinthians 3 it refers to God's work in us uh, or it warns us away from immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, you can't do those. You can't sin with your body. You're the temple of God. God moves his presence into us. He's, he's shaping us to better host him. So you have a progression of God's presence with his people. Think of it from the very beginning of the Bible, right? Abraham, at the beginning, there, there are scattered uh, events and interactions where, where every now and then God will come to Abraham. And Abraham sets up these scattered altars in Canaan, right? There, there's some sense of the presence of God there. But then in Moses, you have the tabernacle set up. Now you have a more uh, constant presence of God. But it's just a tent, and then you move into David, and, and now you have a temple that's set up. You have a more solid foundation, a building. But it's the same idea. God is present in this place, in this temple. And then the climactic act is here at Pentecost in Acts 2, where the presence of God comes and descends upon us, his people. God is present in and among us, not just in a building. God is present. So both Sinai and Acts 2, they're foundational acts. They're establishing a community. Israel at Sinai, the church by the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. This is what the Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. He fulfills the Pentecost uh, feast. And he creates a growing community uh, of people who are pointing to the, the death and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, coming to us, for descending upon us, for sending us the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for him. We pray, Lord, that you would make us more sensitive to his work. Uh, keep us from grieving the Spirit. Uh, help us to keep in step with the Spirit uh, and to... Uh, point to Christ in our daily living, in our thoughts, in our desires. Help us, Heavenly Father, as we do all of this. We pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living Word, and we sing as He taught us to pray. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, 
which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews quarreled with each other among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And then verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Thus far the reading of God's word. The Spirit is the one who makes this whole communion thing happen. It's the Spirit. God uses a food and a nutrition metaphor in this sacrament, and it's a good one. When you eat a normal meal, sometimes you, it doesn't feel like much is happening, right? You eat your veggies, and you can tell that you aren't hungry anymore, but you don't feel all that your body is doing to digest it and turn that into energy for your cells throughout your body. We can learn about that and know some of what's happening. And sometimes you can feel the blood sugar getting reinvigorated, right? But the mystery still remains. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. As we partake of Christ together, sometimes we sense the strengthening. Sometimes we don't. But God's word tells us, because we are doing together what Jesus told us to do in his name, he is feeding us Christ himself. Unless you eat of Jesus, you don't have eternal life. But don't forget verse 63 at the end. It's the spirit that gets this done, not the physical eating. As we eat and drink here, you need to trust the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to pay for your sins. You also need to trust the spirit to bring you to Jesus. Both are the Father's good plan for you. So come, for all things are now ready. The body of Christ, broken for you, Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I. Again, thank you and blessings.